We'll start with verse 3 today. You know, I've been doing weddings now for a long time. I've been doing weddings for about 11 years. Um, and in 11 years, I've done several weddings. And to be quite honest, weddings are a pain in the tuchus. I'm not even going to lie. Anytime I'm asked to do a wedding, I just dread it because they're never any fun, especially for the minister. They're just no fun at all. You've got 10 weeks. Or, or for me, I, I, require, I require 10 weeks of marriage counseling, typically, uh, for couples who want to get married. And, and the thing about it is, is that most of the couples really don't want to do the counseling. They don't want to take the time that, that is involved to sit down. Now, they'll spend endless hours for a year or more preparing for their wedding, but they don't want to take the time to prepare for their marriage. Um, and I have yet, in all the counseling that I've done, over the past few years, I have yet to have a single couple complete my 10 weeks of, of counseling. I've had them get close. I've had some of them make it to seven. I've had some make it to nine, but I have never had a couple complete the complete 10 weeks um, of the counseling. And as a minister, it's just so frustrating. It's just frustrating that there is so little emphasis put in preparing for the marriage and so much emphasis put on the wedding itself. Now, my favorite weddings last less than 15 minutes. Them are my favorites. Them are, them are my dreams come true when I'm doing a wedding is those that last the least. Um, I just honestly, and I know I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I just feel that weddings are overrated. It's no indication of how successful the, the marriage is going to be. You can spend tens of thousands of dollars on your wedding and, and be divorced in five years. It is no indication uh, by the wedding. I, just, I, I feel that they're just overrated. Um, I've done weddings where they would play videos of the bride from birth to present. And then they would play a video of the groom from birth to present and then they'll play a video of the couple when they met to present and then there will be songs that they play and they'll um they'll 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 do the sand ceremonies and they'll write their own 20-minute speeches that they call vows and i've also done weddings that took five minutes or less I've done those weddings where there were only five people present. My wife and I, the couple, and one other witness to sign the paperwork. I did one wedding in the parking lot of a bar and grill. It was dark, and it was snowing. I did that for the favor of a, a, a family friend. But I always knew... That 
with my daughter when she got married that tradition said that I was the father was to pay for the wedding. That's tradition. And, and I accepted that. I said, when my daughter gets married, I'll, I'll pay for the wedding. But I was also shocked to find out that for the son, I'm supposed to pay for the dinner for the rehearsal. That was a shock to me. I thought I was done. I got my daughter married off. I thought I was finished. But no, no, no. And of course, they want to go out to eat. Yeah, so. I realize that in this part of the country, uh, weddings aren't usually too over the top. Not typically. Um, But this is the average cost of things inside of a wedding in the United States as an overall number. The reception venue, the average cost is $15,163. The ceremony site is 2311 Transportation is $830. Photographer is $2,630. Videographer is $1,912. Wedding planner is $1,988. The officiant, $284. And I don't know where they're getting their officiants at. Reception band is $4,000. And nineteen dollars. Are you guys doing uh, weddings yet, Russell? <laughs> exactly. Four thousand and nineteen dollars. The ceremony musicians are seven hundred and sixty-one dollars. The wedding dress is fifteen hundred and nine dollars. The groom's attire is two hundred and eighty-six dollars. Boy, that is quite a difference there. Hair and makeup is $966. Rehearsal dinner, $1,285. Wedding cake, $540. Catering, $70 per person. Flowers and other decor, $2,379. Invitations, $408. And favors, which I have no idea what that is, is $252. So the average total cost for a wedding in the United States is $25,764. As I said, I don't believe I've seen it. I've never done a $25,000 wedding. So this average has got to be getting some of the the rich folk around. But this is the thing. The wedding is one place that we are not afraid to spend some big money on. We're not afraid to be extravagant when it comes, especially to our daughters, to our little girls. We are not afraid to spend some money. And this price doesn't include the honeymoon. Imagine what you could do with a $26,000 honeymoon. Let's skip the wedding and spend $26,000 on the honeymoon. I vote for that. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 2 and verse 4 say this. The kingdom of heaven 
may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And in verse 4 it says, And again he sent out the other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. You see, Jesus compared salvation to a wedding feast. Why? Because the first century Jewish wedding feast was a lavish occasion. No expense was spared, and the wedding typically lasted anywhere from five to six days, and I complain about an hour. Five to seven days, I'm sorry. Now, for the first ten years of my Christian life, I didn't look at my wedding that, or I didn't look at my salvation that way. I didn't compare my salvation to a lavish wedding. I reckon the way I was taught that God was kind of a miser when it came to my salvation. That he always had something held back that I had to find. There was always something hidden, something that I had to seek out, something that that I had to search after in order to find it. He was kind of a miser. When Jesus made it clear that when God pours out his mercy upon us, when salvation is given to us, it's in a lavish setting. He pours out lavishly upon us. But I always believe that God gave me just enough grace for salvation. Just enough grace for salvation. But not enough to live that life. Enough for salvation, but not quite enough to live that life. And so I would have to seek out more. There was more out there I had to find in order to live that life. Enough for justification, but not enough for sanctification. I can remember watching... Lines of people stand up before the church waiting to receive that thing that, that we had to seek out, to, to receive that thing that we were missing in our Christian life. Something that God had held back for me at salvation. Made evident by either someone pushing you into the waiting hands of a catcher or by the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And then you knew Then you knew that you had enough. Then you knew that you had received that thing that you needed to live the life. And if you didn't go down, and if you didn't speak in tongues, you didn't get all that God had for you. I always struggled with that chain of thought. I always struggled with that. And even if you receive those superpowers, those, those Christian superpowers, it was no guarantee that you would make it. It was no guarantee that you would make it to the end. So you had enough grace for justification, and you had enough grace for sanctification, but not enough grace for glorification. There was always something missing Something always hidden from you. You were always supposed to seek out what it was that you were lacking in your life. I watched many people seek out 
and receive what they thought God had withheld, only to walk away from God later in their life. And to turn to an immoral life. As I was preparing this message, I had, I had face after face after face roll through my memory of these people that stood up before the congregation, worshiping God, speaking in tongues, running around the church on fire for God. And now they're cheating on their spouses. They're divorced. They're on drugs. They were worse now than they were before. The same people who were filled with the Spirit are now living an immoral life. You see, too many Christians believe that there's not enough grace for them to handle life's problems and life's trials. But Peter is going to teach us otherwise today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to the glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, And by these that you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Power granted to us. Divine power granted to us. Listen, whatever you are able to accomplish in this spiritual walk of yours is not by willpower, It's not by sheer grits. It's not pulling up by the bootstraps. It is by the divine power that God has given us to live this life. It is by his power that we do works. It is by his power that we glorify God. And it is by his power that we do spiritual things that we never imagined even possible in this life. His power, His referring back to Jesus Christ, divine points out the fact that Jesus is God. Divine, His divine power. Divine was always uh, uh, given to God. You always expected that to be an attribute of God, His divinity, divine. And for Peter to call it Jesus' divine power, He is calling without question that Jesus was God. You see, if Peter would have referred to God or to Jehovah, he would have needed, he would not have needed to use divine because that went along with it. They knew that God was divine. It was ingrained in those names. But in order for Peter to take away any doubt from his readers that Jesus was God. He used the word divine to describe the deity backing the power that was given to us. And Peter says that it has been granted. This gives us the idea that it was given to us in the past, 
with continuing results in the present. Given in the past at salvation with continuing results in the life that we live. This is the real question. When you got saved, how much of his divine power was given to you? And how much do I need to seek out in order to receive it? When you got saved, how much of this power that is promised to us was given to us? And how much of it is held back that we have to seek out at a future time? According to his divine power. You see, the amount of power that was granted to us is only limited to his divine power. His divine power. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. This is the same power that spoke universes into place. That's the power that has been given to us at salvation. Do you think that's enough power for our piddly problems? I think so. So how much did he give you at salvation? When you become a Christian, how much was given to you? Peter said, all things pertaining to life and to godliness. How much did he give you? All things that pertain to life and that pertain to godliness. God gave you at salvation all you need to live this life. All you need to endure suffering, all you need to endure trials, all you need to survive loss, loss of jobs, loss of friends, loss of of family through death, loss of health. He gave you that power at salvation. You see, there is no need... To ask God for anything. He has already given you all that you need to live this life. He has already given it to you. The question is, are you tapping into that power? God, give me peace. You already have it. God, give me strength. You've had it all along. God, give me patience. It's there. God, give me wisdom. Done did. Everything you need, everything you need in this life to keep your head above water, he's already given to you. You see, we get this idea that because we continue to sin or because we constantly fail that we're just missing something. We need something else. There's something else. It's God's fault. It's God's fault that I sin. It's God's fault that I fail because he's holding something back from me. Bluntly put, we sin because we want to. That's why you sin. That's why you fail, because that's what you want to do. It's just that simple. We are no longer slaves to sin. When you sin now, it's because you want to sin. It's that simple. 
You see, all you need to live godly lives has been given to you. You already have it. It's in you. We have the same power to live godly lives that Jesus had to live his sinless life. The same power that was granted to him, he has granted to us. That divine power. We have the power within us to live victorious lives. We have that power. We have no lack at all. None. There is no temptation. There is no attack from demons. There is no attack from the devil himself. There is no attack from all of hell that we can't overcome by his power. By his divine power. So maybe instead of praying, God, give me. Maybe we should be praying, God, help me tap into the power that I already have. God, help me to tap into the peace that you've already given me. God, help me to plug into the patience that you gave me at salvation. Help me embrace the strength that I know that you put within me when I was saved. The power's there. The power is within us. We just got to learn to tap into that power, to tap into that strength that he gave us. You see, the power is divine. And because it's divine, that means the power is endless and the power is eternal. Christians should never question God's lavish gift that was given to us at salvation. I believe that. He pours out lavishly upon his people. He pours out lavishly upon Christians at salvation. Have you ever gotten a new item? And when you looked at it, you absolutely could not figure the crazy thing out. Like a new cell phone. Some people get these cell phones, and all they ever do on a cell phone is make phone calls. That's it. That's all they ever do. There's a few out there. Now, some of them might get a little venturous and might try a text. Maybe. But this is the thing. The cell phones that we have today, they can absolutely manage your life if you know what you're doing. We was laughing at Betty last night. Poor Betty, just now getting on Facebook, and she's already posting inappropriate things. <laughs> she said, I have no idea. She said, all I know to do is post apologies because I don't know how to get rid of it. <laughs> so we were trying to help her figure out how to get this stuff off of her Facebook page. But the problem is this, these phones will do amazing things now, but we never take the time 
to look at the instructions. We never take the time to get in and figure out everything because it takes effort and it takes time to sit down. Man, I'm happy just to make a phone call. I'm happy to send a text every now and again. I know these phones can do these crazy things because I've seen other people do it. I've seen it. It's amazing. But I ain't got time to sit down and read all that stuff. You see, Peter said, how do you find out about all these wonderful powers that you have through, through divine power? He said, it's through knowledge. You have the power. You just don't know you have the power because you're not in the instruction book. You're not reading and studying and trying to figure out all of the things that you can do, all of the powers that you have within you. You know that there is the ability within you to live a victorious life. Why? Because you see other people doing it. I see other people living victoriously. I know you can do it. But I just don't take the time to get in the instruction manual. You see, we have no idea the potential because we're just not willing to study the manual. We're just not willing to take the time. Our lives are just too busy. God, as long as I can make a phone call, that's all I want to do. When this has the potential to manage our lives, to give us strength, to give us power to endure life. You see, all you need to know is in the Bible. It's there. And this is more than just superficial knowledge. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. This isn't just a super, this isn't just that, hey, I acknowledge that Jesus was God. I, I, I admit that. I, I admit that he, he died on a cross. I admit that he died for our sins. I, I admit that. I, I acknowledge that. I know that to be a fact. I was talking to a young man here about a week ago. And he was talking about his fear of flying. And he told me, he said, hey, listen. He said, the way I look at it, he said, the only time I want to fly is when I meet Jesus in the air. But that was preceded by 15 F-bombs, 10 GDs, and a countless number of filthy stories it's more than just a head knowledge it's more than just saying god that jesus is god it's more than admitting that he was on the cross this knowledge is a personal knowledge this is an understanding this is a getting hold of god wants you to know he wants you to know the answers are there and with a genuine heart, 
you seek. And with a genuine heart, you receive. And as you seek the knowledge, then God grants that to you. But he has called us, called us, that's salvation he's speaking of, called us to glory. In Scripture, glory always goes to God. It always belongs to God alone. Most translations say, by his glory and virtue, or by his glory and excellence. This is speaking of Jesus' glory and Jesus' excellence. His virtue, the life that he lived, the perfect life that he lived. You see, when the gospel is presented and sinners see Christ's glory, and and because of this they see his deity, they realize who Christ is, the Son of God, Savior, and they realize their need for repentance. Excellence and virtue speaks of his perfect humanity, sinless. And you will only receive this divine power when you believe, when you accept the words of this sinless God-man. And when you act on them. Look at verse 4 again. Hang with me. We're about done here. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Whereby... Or some translations say, by these. These attributes of glory, these attributes uh, of, of virtue. Because he lived a perfect sinless life, and because he was sacrificed a perfect sacrifice, he did all that was necessary for your salvation. He did everything that you needed to have done in order for you to be saved, in order for you to be made right with God. He did it all. Listen, a promise is only as good as the promise maker, right? I could write you a check today for a million dollars. Any takers? I'll write you a check today for a million dollars. A check is nothing more than a promise. I could write you a check for a million dollars. The problem will come when you try to check it, when you try to cash it. They're liable to laugh you out of the line when you hand them my check for a million dollars. It's only as good as the promise maker. The promise is. Peter said that these promises are great and precious. Great and precious. You see, promises here are the checks that are written by God. Do you think they'll cash? Do you think his promises will cash? Promises found in both testaments. For instance, spiritual life 
Romans 8, 9 through 13. Resurrection life, John eleven twenty five. The Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 3. Abundant grace, John 10, 10. Joy, Psalms 132, 16 and Galatians 5, 22. Strength, Psalms 18, 32 and Isaiah 40, 31. Guidance, John 16, 13. Instructions, John 14, 26. Wisdom, James 1, 5 and Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. Heaven, John 14, 1 through 3. And eternal rewards, 1 Timothy 4, 8. And that's just a few of the promises that we have. Just a few of the checks that God has handed out to us. That we might be partakers of these promises. You see, this not only represents future possibilities, but it also represents represents present certainties. When God writes a check, it's as good as checked. It's as good as cash. It's good. It's a done deal. Partakers, this means that we are sharers and partners with God. Christians are partners in this life with God himself. With him, we have all the divine power. We have all the promises of this instruction manual. He says, having escaped the corruption. This word means decay and rotting with all of the nice smells that go along with that. This rotting and stench is driven by the lust of this world. As Christians, we have successfully escaped the danger. Our fallen nature... Sin in this rotting world and its final destruction. We have escaped that. Praise God. Listen, if you feel that you are continuously failing, falling into sin, Peter is teaching us it's not because we're lacking anything. With God's divine power, we have all we need to live victorious. We just need to learn to plug into what God has already given us. Would you stand to your feet? It took me a lot of years to realize I was always confused as a young Christian. I I didn't understand why God would play hide Easter eggs from me. I never understood that. I never understood why God wouldn't give me what I needed, why I had to constantly keep coming back to him. But the more I get into God's word and the more I understand what what the, the, the apostles are teaching us, God give us everything that we need. He gave us everything that we needed at salvation. He gave us through grace salvation. He gave us through grace sanctification. He gave us through grace glorification. It's all there. Why are we seeking something we already have? I just think there would be so much more power in our walk if we would realize it's already here. We just got to get a hold of it. How do you live a victorious life? You get a hold of the promises that God has given us. 
And you ride this life like a wild bull, but it ain't going to throw us off. Father, I thank you, God, for this word. God, I thank you that you have opened my eyes to the facts, to the promises, God, that when I knelt before you, God, when I poured my trust out to you, God, that you poured upon me lavishly. God, you poured out upon me more than I could ever think, more than I could ever imagine. And God, I pray that you give me the wisdom, that you give me the knowledge to learn to tap into those things that I have. God, it's there. I just need to learn to trust you to trust you for your promises, to trust you for everything that you've given me. And God, I pray for your people as they stand before you today, God. God, I pray that you open their minds. God, help them to understand as they they go through these things here upon this earth, God, but you've already equipped them to make it through this life. You have already equipped them to be victorious God, if they'll just get a hold of it. God, I know they love you. God, they're here. They're seeking your wisdom. They're seeking your word. They're seeking your face, God. They love you. Just help them to see, God, that you have given them what they need. And God, help them to tap into that. May we be a church of victorious survivors, God. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, God, I pray that you give your people rest today. Keep them safe as they go out on the roads. God, protect them and bring them back once again, Father, ready to to dig deep into your word once more. We ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.